Do you want to write amazing dialogue but don't know where to start? Some people are just naturally good at dialogue because they really understand the cadence and flow of conversation and are good at bringing that across onto the page. And that's great. But here's the thing, to truly understand dialogue and make it work for you, you have to understand it from the inside out and be intentional with it. So last week I talked about how you have to understand story inside out. You have to understand how each aspect of it functions and how to use those aspects intentionally to evoke emotion, right? Well, dialogue is exactly the same way, okay? You need to understand it. You need to use it intentionally. You need to make it work for you. You know, it it is a tool. It is a vehicle for you to tell the story. And if you can learn to do that with your dialogue, you'll never go wrong with it. It'll never fall flat, okay? If it's something that you are interested in learning or even curious about, stay tuned because I'm going to give you a kind of a mini masterclass on it today, all right? Hi there, aspiring fiction author. Welcome to Fiction Author Business School. Do you want to write your stories with ease and confidence? Do you find yourself Googling how to write a fiction book or how to write a character arc? Do you want to create a fiction empire, but you can't even finish the story you're currently working on and you find yourself doubting it will even be good enough? Hi, I'm Liesl. I too have been writing stories since I was just a kid. I wanted to do something about my fiction writing dreams, but got information overload every time I looked for writing help because there's just so much out there on the internet. I wanted confidence that I wouldn't disappoint my readers and a plan to publish regularly. I knew the foundation of any author career, including the marketing aspect, is a stellar and well-written story, but I didn't know how to be sure that my story was solid. I went on a journey to figure out what really makes readers tick and how to incorporate those addictive elements into my story. In this podcast, you'll find specific tactical fiction writing tips, solutions to writing more words more efficiently, and secrets to mastering your author mindset. So put on your fuzzy slippers, grab a notebook and pen and some chocolate, and let's write some fiction. So here's the thing. Lots of people talk about dialogue in the writing space, and very much like with story, I'm always a little bit annoyed when I hear talks about dialogue. It's not that any of them are bad or that they don't have value, but we tend to talk about it from an external point of view. So we talk a lot about dialogue tags and grammar and not using small talk. And all of those things are great. I mean, they're very, very important, but they don't really help us write good dialogue. They don't help us write stellar dialogue that jumps off the page and that really helps move our story forward. So my whole thing about dialogue is that people are so unintentional with the way that they use it. I can tell you that I'm one of those people I mentioned in the intro that has always been good at translating the flow of conversation onto a page. But here's the thing, being able to do that doesn't make you good at dialogue, not necessarily. It means that you can, you're good at writing conversation, but that's not quite the same thing, okay? Because how you write it can sound good until the cows come home, but does it really accomplish what it needs to accomplish in the scene? Is it working for you and the story that you're telling? If you're not being intentional with your dialogue, if you don't truly understand it, how it functions, how in any given scene you need the dialogue to act and so that it's working for you in that scene, then I'm gonna say, no, you're probably not accomplishing what you need to accomplish with that dialogue. So let's get into this. What do I mean by being intentional with your dialogue? If you write dialogue in much the same way you pants your story, meaning 
you know what you want the character to say or to find out in the scene, and then you just sort of vomit out the first words onto the page you can think of to get that said. And then other than, you know, basic editing, you don't really give it another thought beyond that. Okay, if that's how you approach your dialogue, you are not being intentional and your dialogue is not going to be very strong and it is not going to be working for you in the story. Okay, so contrary to popular belief, (laughs) dialogue is not a means for your characters to talk to one another. I mean, sure, they do that, but that's not the function of dialogue in your story. The function of dialogue in your story is to communicate with your reader. Now, you can use dialogue to communicate a lot of different things, okay? It's just going to depend on what the scene is about and, you know, of course, literally limitless in what that's going to be. But generally, you're going to be communicating information about the story, about the plot, about the theme. Um, Very often, though, you're using it to communicate your character's deeper emotions and motivations, okay? And really, it should be doing a combination of the two. So if two characters are talking about, you know, their plan for what they're going to do next in the story, obviously, that's about the plot. But it needs to happen in a way that we are also getting how those characters feel about that plan, their deeper motivations, their insecurities, okay? So this is what I mean when I say you shouldn't just vomit the first words you can think of that conveys the meaning for the plot onto the page, your dialogue needs to be working for you on two, three, four, maybe five levels, okay? And if it's not, you are not maximizing the use of your dialogue, and it's going to bog down your story, and you're probably going to lose your reader because they just don't care that much about your dialogue. Have you ever read a scene And there's a line from that scene that jumps out at you and you're just like, whoa, okay, that was a line right there. Okay, you just had an emotional reaction to that line. Now, obviously, not every single line of dialogue you write is going to have that effect on the reader, but you need to be making sure that your dialogue is working for you in the story. Because I promise you, if you are making it work for you on multiple levels rather than just one, your character, or I mean, sorry, your readers will never be bored with that dialogue. It will never fall flat. And again, it's one of those things that they're not always going to consciously say that was fantastic dialogue, but it's just a matter of you won't lose them while they're reading that scene. Because let's face it, if you've got boring dialogue and you have a scene where there's a long conversation going on, you're going to lose your reader because it's boring. Okay, so this is Basically, (laughs) a really easy way to say it is what I'm telling you today is a way to make sure your dialogue is never boring. But it's also going to be showing you how to use your dialogue intentionally to help tell your story, to help convey emotions to the reader. And it can be really, really powerful that way. All right. So here's where your craft as a genius author comes in. For the most part, you don't want to do this, communicate the way that your characters are feeling, for example, in an obvious on the nose sort of way. So you don't want your character to say, I'm angry, (laughs) right? That's not the most effective way to do it. Now, this is going to sound a little bit convoluted, but it's a good exercise to do. And it really is the truth. So I want you to really stop and think about this. In a way, you can do a show rather than tell with your dialogue. So Let's say that you only had dialogue to work with. You are writing your entire story in dialogue. There is no action. The characters do not have bodies, okay? They only have voices. They're just talking. Saying, I'm angry, is telling with your dialogue rather than showing. I want you to show with your dialogue 
how your character feels, right? So rather than saying, I'm angry, you want them to scream obscenities and say things like, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing that. Or, you know, I mean, that's really generic. Whatever's going on in your scene, right? So you're using your dialogue to communicate how your reader feels about something that they're saying, how they see their world. And you're also giving them sub, you're giving the reader, I mean, subconscious clues to where the story might be going. Now, again, I know that that sounds like a tall order. Um, And it kind of is, but understand that the subconscious clues, well, you know what, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Um, they, They kind of happen automatically, but we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to give you a different example for how this kind of dialogue can work. It was something that I thought of when I was uh, thinking about this. Years ago, I think it was when I was in college, there was a commercial that came on TV all the time um, for a cereal that's called Kashi Golene Crunch. I don't even know if they still have that cereal or not. But I remember it because I thought the commercial was funny and I laughed every time that it came on. Um, I even went out and bought the cereal because I liked the commercial. So there's marketing for you. And I actually hated the cereal. I thought it was gross. (laughs) So sorry if you like that cereal. Um, I just thought it tasted like cardboard, but that's just my opinion. Um, Anyway, so this is what the commercial did. It had like kind of a cartoony thing going on that was clearly drawn. And it was a curvy figure that was clearly supposed to be a woman, but it was very indistinct. She didn't have a whole lot of features or anything. And we see her go over and open the fridge and like bend over like she's looking into the fridge for food. And then we hear this voiceover of a woman saying, every day you wake up and you either say, I'm hungry or, ooh, cookie dough. And I always laughed every time I heard that. I was like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, okay. Um, But the point is, they didn't say, or you think, oh, there's some cookie dough. That sounds good. That's going to taste good. I kind of want that, even though I know it's not healthy. You know what I mean? They, They didn't do that. They condensed it all into a single line that had emotion in it and conveyed something that we all understood and laughed about, right? And that's what you want to do with your dialogue. Now, again, I know that this is sounding maybe... A little bit overwhelming, like how do you do that? I'm going to get into some very simple tips that you can do to help you do this. But this is what I'm talking about. Okay, so let's go back to what I said before. You are going to be um, giving subconscious clues to the readers of where the story might go on top of communicating how the character feels about something, how they see their world, all of that. And you're probably asking, okay, well, how do I do that? Well, the subconscious clue part uh, that I talked about before, they're going to happen whether you want them to or not. So if you have some character that is yelling about how they're afraid of the water and they don't want to go in the water, that's a subconscious clue to the reader that at some point your character is going to have to face their fear of the water and probably go into the water, right? So your, your readers are intelligent and they know to look for things that are going to be relevant to the story later on. So that's why you really need to be intentional with your dialogue because that subtext is gonna happen no matter what. You don't necessarily have to do any extra work to put it in there, but at the same time, you wanna make sure you're communicating the right subtext, okay? If you have your character scream about hydrophobia and then you never address it again in the story, the reader is expecting something like that to come back in and be relevant and they're going to be disappointed if it doesn't they'll wonder why you put it into the story to begin with and honestly it's probably in their mind maybe even just subconsciously rather than consciously it's going to label you as a subpar writer because you set something up and didn't pay it off okay really really don't do that guys but the way that you make sure that you're communicating the right subtext is to be intentional about your dialogue right so how do you do that I'm about to tell you, 
Here are 10 directives I came up with for writing dynamite dialogue. And yes, I totally went overboard on the alliteration there. Sue me, I'm an author. <laughs> um, so here's the thing, guys. These are going to be relatively simple to write down. One of those things that simple to write, but harder to actually put into practice. But I'm going to keep it short and simple here for the sake of the podcast episode. But in a lot of ways, this is almost a masterclass on writing dialogue. It's just a really condensed version of a masterclass. So get a pen and paper. You're going to want to write these down. You're going to want to have these as a list so that not only can you work on it, you know, work off these tips for any dialogue heavy scenes. But if you're struggling with dialogue with, you know, figuring out even a single line of dialogue, you can come to this list and start going through it in order to help kind of push through and figure out what that dialogue needs to be. Okay. Number one, every line of dialogue must serve a purpose. Now, I came up with base, three basic purposes that a line of dialogue can serve within your novel. So dialogue is either A, going to create or resolve tension, B, convey information of some kind, or C, show emotion. So if you have lines of dialogue that are not doing any of those things, cut them. They're superfluous. Okay, this is exactly why we always say don't use inane chit chat or um, small talk, you know, hi, how are you? How was your day? Good. I mean, that doesn't, it doesn't accomplish any of these three things. Okay. And yeah, of course, we do that in real life. That's part of our, you know, realistic conversation. But this is not real life. This is a novel. And you need to make sure that every single line is keeping your readers attention and pointing them towards something that's going to happen in the story. So that is why Every line must serve a purpose, and it must be one of these three purposes, okay? Creating or resolving tension, conveying information, or showing emotion, okay? Number two, do not keep it real. <laughs> and I kind of just said this. You don't want to try to mimic realistic conversation because our realistic conversation is just all over the place, right? We interrupt each other. We don't finish our sentences. We do use the inane chit-chat. We use filler words all the time, like, like, um... It's grammatically a mess. You know what I mean? You don't want to try and put that onto the page because that's the fastest way to lose your reader and to have terrible, terrible dialogue. So there are some ways in which you want to mimic real life dialogue, the flow of it and, and that sort of thing. But overall, don't try to mimic the parts that are a mess. Let's put it that way. Okay, number three, character voice. This is so important in dialogue. And it's something that especially new writers tend to struggle with. If all of your dialogue sounds exactly the same because it's coming out of your head, it's going to fall really flat, guys. Um, and that's not to say that you're not a great conversationalist all by yourself. But when you don't have character voice, when you haven't considered that, when you're not intentionally using that, it starts to sound, well, all the same, of course. But it also, it just loses any dimension it might have had. So... I remember years ago watching a particular TV show with my sister, and I'm not going to say which one it was. It was kind of a low budget, um, known for having not the greatest acting in it kind of show. But the problem was that sometimes when the actors would read their lines, there was so little emotion in it that it sounded like they were reading from a laundry list of words. You know, it sounded like they were reading from a script. And of course, they <laughs> technically were, but... The point is to not make it sound that way. You know, good acting makes it sound like a real conversation. They put emotion in it. And looking back, I mean, yeah, the acting wasn't great, but I can also tell you that the writing was not great. Those actors didn't have very good material to work with either. So across the board, it just came across as 
cheesy, you know? And I remember having that conversation with my sister. She was like, why does it sound like he's reading from a script? And I was like, yeah, no, you know, not, not much to be done about it, but that's what you want to avoid. Okay. And if you can have character voice, meaning, um, the way they talk, the inflections, words or phrases that they say, um, you know, whether they are more go with the flow or more dominant, you know, you, you got to put your, their personalities into their words. And if you do that, that really helps with dialogue. Okay. Number four, combining action with dialogue. Now, I said before that you want your dialogue to show on its own, even without action, and that's true, I stand by that. But of course, we know that when you're writing your books, you're also going to have action in your scenes. So there's two different ways that you can combine, that I'm gonna talk about here, that you can combine action and dialogue. The first is what I call combining macro action with dialogue. And by macro action, I just mean what they're actually doing motion-wise in the scene. So let's say that you are writing a scene where your character's in a hair salon getting their hair done and they are talking with their hairstylist because that happens. You, you know, make conversation when you're getting your hair done. So this would be something like putting in action between snippets of dialogue so that the scene flows really well. You know, instead of just having a block of dialogue and then talking about what the characters are doing, you know, um, this is what happened, Marcy said, as she uh, put the next curler in my hair, you know, that sort of thing. And, and that's the kind of thing that we do that you're, I'm sure you're very familiar with and you do it all the time. It's just using macro action, interspersing it with dialogue so that the scene flows really well. Now that actually does help dialogue to sound a little more natural. The other way, which is more intensive and a lot more fun in my opinion, is to combine dialogue with micro action. And by micro action, what I mean is body language and expression. Okay, so it's not just the motion of what their bodies are actually doing. It's more having to study them and look for their micro actions. Okay, because here's the thing. Not everybody, in fact, I would say most people do not say what they mean. Okay, we are always trying to protect ourselves emotionally. So, you know, if we go back to the hydrophobia example, most people are not going to, you know, unless they are very self-aware and very secure in their insecurities or something, they're, they're most often not going to look at someone and be like, oh, I'm afraid of the water. I don't want to go in. They're not going to say that. Okay. They're, so let's say that they're um, hanging out. They're, you know, kind of relaxed and everyone's having a good time. And then someone says, let's go for a swim. Well, how does that character react? Like I said, most often they're not going to say, oh, I have hydrophobia. I don't want to do that. They're their body is going to tense up. They're going to lean away. They're going to start to sound very defensive. They're going to start to make excuses like, oh, um, we don't have time. And uh, I, I don't have a change of clothes. I don't want to go swimming. And you, you know what I mean? And so you can use their expression and their body language. But they're also not saying exactly what they mean. <laughs> okay? They're talking around it in order because it's, it's a defense mechanism. So these are the kinds of things that you can really start to consider. I'm going to go back to what I said before. Instead of just vomiting the first words onto the page to convey something, have the the character not say what they mean. Have them talk around it so that there's subtext, but in order to communicate that subtext, you have to use micro action, which is their body language and their expression. Now, guys, like I said, this is kind of a masterclass. Doing this for your dialogue is kind of a whole nother level. But very specifically, you're not going to be able to do this very well pantsing. It's going to be really hard. And 
I'm not throwing shade at pantsing. I'm just saying that this is the definition of using your dialogue intentionally. So it's something you are going to have to plan, you're going to have to focus in on, and that you're going to have to do a little bit of extra work to make your dialogue work for you this way, okay? It's not something that generally comes out naturally during the first draft, even for pretty seasoned authors. It's just not. Um, you know, of course, the more you do it, the better you will get at it, and maybe you'll start to do it naturally. But especially when you're starting out, it's going to take some intentionality on your part, okay? But it's very, very powerful when you do that, and it's really fun to write, and it's really fun to read. So I would encourage you to do that, even if it's just as an exercise. All right, number five. Identify the emotion behind any line of dialogue because it will give you clarity. So this is something that, of course, you should know the emotion of the conversation before you sit down to write the scene. That's really, really important. But this is also something you can use if you're maybe struggling with a particular line of dialogue. You know, I think we've all been there. We're, we're trying to write something and it's just not coming across very powerfully. You want it to be punchy and it just doesn't feel like it is. Um, if you kind of stop and really identify the emotion and maybe the motivation behind that line of dialogue, it will actually help you to craft the dialogue a little bit better. So if you want your character to say something, you know, whatever it is, I don't want to or something, but it's just not coming across the way that you want the line to sound, ask yourself, what is behind that line? Is the character being defensive? Are they being manipulative? Are they trying to, you know, bring across some sort of evil plan? Or are they being kind? Are they being compassionate? Are they trying to be helpful? You know, figure out what that line of dialogue is or what it means to the character, you know, emotionally, and that will actually help you to craft the words a little bit better because you probably know what it, what the emotion is, at least on a subconscious level. But if you bring that emotion front and center to the conscious level, that's how you can intentionally craft your dialogue around it. So if you ever get stuck with a line of dialogue or maybe with a whole conversation, ask yourself, what is the emotion behind that line of dialogue? What is the motivation? If it's a full conversation, maybe ask, what am I trying to accomplish with this conversation? And then point everything in the conversation toward that, okay? So understanding the motivations of the characters and the emotions of the characters are gonna make a huge difference in the way your dialogue sounds. Because once again, it's not gonna be generic at that point. It's going to be specific to what they are feeling and what they are trying to accomplish, okay? Um, number six, really don't spell out every detail. Um, pull details from past parts of the novel and combine them with meaning and emotion. So this is only going to work if you've really laid the groundwork for it early on. So, okay, that sounds a little bit um, <laughs> non-specific. Let's get more specific. Let's use some examples. Um, the, the example I thought about for this was the film A Few Good Men, which is kind of an old movie now, but it's actually one of my favorites. And it actually it is based on a play. If you ever want a study in fantastic dialogue, watch a film that's based on a play because plays are built around dialogue. The, the dialogue comes first in a play before anything else. So what I was talking about at the beginning about showing with your dialogue rather than telling, that's what dialogue and plays do, okay? And that's why it always comes across as just this fantastic dialogue that just pops, right? And I love A Few Good Men for that reason, but I was gonna give you an example from the movie after watching it many times, I never get sick of watching that movie, um, you start to realize that Tom Cruise's character, the main character, Danny, 
has something of a father complex. And it's not necessarily a negative one, not like a, his father was abusive sort of one. It's more that his father was actually kind of a celebrity lawyer. He was a really good lawyer and not just good at his craft. Like everybody knew who he was. People were writing dissertations on his work. So Danny became a lawyer as well, but he had big shoes to step into because his father was so successful. And he has a little bit of a complex about that. He actually goes out of his way to underwhelm people because he can't stand up to his father's legacy. And the way that the the story deals with this is they kind of establish it early on, but it doesn't seem to be that big a deal. People will say, oh, we knew your father. He was great. Or one of his colleagues even says, I wrote a dissertation on your father when I was in law school. And, you know, Danny just kind of, oh, that's great. You know, and we also find out that his father has passed away before the beginning of the show. So his father isn't even a character on screen, he's, but he's a presence um, because of this in Danny's mind. And then at particular parts, not many, just two or three parts during the show, almost, it, you know, contextually, it feels like it comes out of a clear blue sky. Danny will start to say something about his father that doesn't make any sense given what's going on in the scene, but it'll be something like, do you think my father would have done this? You know, if my father were trying this case, would he have put this person on the stand? And you can just see this father complex coming out and the pressure he's under to stand up to his father's success, okay? And it's fantastic the way that they do it. It's actually really, really emotional. And that's what I mean. Instead of sitting the audience down, you know, breaking the fourth wall and explaining that, you know, this is what his father did and this is how he feels about it and this is why this is difficult for him, they... they lay the groundwork early on, and then in the dialogue, they don't explain everything, they just start mentioning things. And it forces the audience to make those connections themselves, okay? And that becomes really, really powerful dialogue. Really powerful. Now, that was kind of a convoluted example. Let's use another one that I've actually talked about before on the podcast when I was talking about crafting epic one-liners. Um, the f one of the final lines, let's see, it's the final, like, epilogue chapter in the seventh Harry Potter book when Harry is taking or seeing his son off to school. And he has this line that I love that I know everybody loves. And I remember just blubbering the first time that I read it, um, <laughs> where he says, Albus Severus Potter, you are named after two headmasters of Hogwarts. One of them was a Slytherin. And he was the bravest man I ever knew. So think about that. It was not a matter of Harry sitting down to explain this to his kid and saying, you know, son, when I was back in school, I had this teacher named Snape and I didn't like him very much. You know, that's not what they did. They pulled details that the audience will understand and remember. So the names, Alb Albus and Severus, we know who those are. The fact that they were both headmasters, that's also reminding us, you know, at least I think everybody remembers that um, Dumbledore was, but... Snape was headmaster for such a small time. They're reminding us of something that happened in the plot. Um, one of them was a Slytherin. We have to remember that detail and know which one that was. And then we get the meaning, how Harry actually feels about him, as opposed to how he felt about him when he was a kid sitting in Snape's class, okay? So it's a very, very powerful line, and I want you to try and do that with your dialogue. And that's basically what they do in A Few Good Men. They lay the groundwork early on, and then they call back to it. Um... They pull that detail and then combine it with something meaningful to the character. Now, obviously, you're not going to be able to do this with every line of dialogue, but try to sprinkle that throughout your story because, again, it just creates a really powerful conversation. 
And it only works if you laid the groundwork correctly early on, okay? So this is something that I'm going to be teaching in more detail in my course. It, I'm not saying that it's easy to do. It, it does take a lot of planning. It does take a lot of intentionality. But if you can pull it off, whew, makes for amazing scenes, okay? Um, number seven, don't be afraid to be messy in your dialogue. Um, in real life, you know, we don't speak in perfect, polite sentences. And especially because this is fiction and chances are your conversations are going to have a certain amount of tension in them, whether it's romantic tension or, you know, some sort of dangerous happening tension or whatever the case may be to characters arguing about something. They're not going to be perfectly polite, grammatical, tied up in a bow kinds of sentences. So feel free to cut each other off, to interrupt each other, to use fragments, all that sort of thing. Now, of course, it still needs to make sense to the reader. And part of that is writing it correctly on the page, which I'll get to in a minute. So, but you also, for, for this sort of thing, probably need a couple of extra sets of eyes on it because no matter how much it makes sense to you, it may not make sense the way you're writing it to the reader. So just get somebody else to read it for you and ask them if it makes sense, if they can follow who's saying what, and if they can, then you're golden. And if not, then you might just need to clean it up a little bit. Um, number eight. Oh, this is one of my favorite ones to play with. Don't make all things in dialogue equal. Now, what I mean is, this especially applies if you have more than two people in a conversation. If you have, like, say, a group of four or five, we tend to want everybody to speak the same amount. And I think where that tendency comes from is trying not to lose where any of the characters are or what they're doing in the scene. But just keep in mind that you don't have to use dialogue to do that. If you have someone in the corner not saying much, you can have the point of view character observe them without actually having them speak. Now, the reason that I say this is because... In any given conversation, there are always power dynamics going on. So if you have four or five people, they're not all going to speak equally. The power dynamics are going to be based on personality. Um, they're going to be based on maybe who's in charge, you know, if you've got like a military thing going on, um, <clears throat> who the leader is a lot of things. And even if you have a conversation only between two people, there can still be power dynamics going on. If you have one person who's constantly talking over, interrupting, being dominant, that says a lot about these two characters, about their personalities, about their relationship to each other. So take into account power dynamics. Don't make everything equal in the conversation. Because again, that will communicate to your reader a lot about these characters, about how they're interacting, about their personalities. It's going to make them seem more realistic, honestly. It's one of those things that we don't, <laughs> when we're sitting around having conversations with our friends and family, we're not usually thinking about power dynamics. But on a subconscious level, the reader will identify with power dynamics because they're always there. And it makes the conversation feel more real because it's closer to what we experience in real life conversations, okay? So take power dynamics into account. All right, so number nine, we're almost through, nine out of 10. We really can't talk about dialogue without talking about dialogue tags, which can be the bane of any writer's existence, right? I'm just going to give you three directives about dialogue tags. These are things that I've, become, I've come to believe are the most important when it comes to dialogue tags, but everyone's going to be different. Um, a is use said most often. This is something you've probably heard before. It's not that it's wrong to use things other than said, but if you use them too often, it starts to feel like you're trying too hard. It starts to feel like you used a thesaurus 
for the word said and are trying to come up with something different every single time. And honestly, it can pull the reader out of the story. Said is such a, it is kind of a filler word in the sense that we're so used to reading it that we almost don't register it. But when it comes to wanting dialogue to flow, that's actually a good thing because what it does is it does tag the dialogue so that the reader knows what's going on or who is speaking in this case, but it doesn't pull them out of the story. It doesn't make them have to think overly much. It helps them focus on the dialogue rather than the dialogue tag. So you can certainly use other ones from time to time, but just don't overuse them. Like 95 to 99% of the time, you should just use said. Okay, B, use powerful dialogue tags. Meaning if you're going to use something other than said, make sure that it is highly descriptive and try to stay away from LY words. Now, once again, there are no absolutes in writing. You can use LY words every once in a while, but just don't overuse them. So instead of saying, he said quietly, say, he whispered. Instead of saying, she said angrily, say, she shouted. These are powerful, descriptive words. Now, understand, I use LY words quite often in my writing, and sometimes that's going to be the one that works the best, but just not usually. And that's why I have learned to edit myself on that, and I also have a critique group that helps me pick those up. So just be really um, self-aware of these kinds of things and learn to edit your dialogue because using the more powerful words makes it flow better. It gives it more of an emotional punch. The LY words can bog it down and can make it more flat. Okay. Just stuff to keep in mind. All right. A number or C <laughs> trying to keep letters and numbers separate here for dialogue tags. C is skip them whenever you can. So if you only have two people in a conversation and you really get going, you can skip the dialogue tag pretty often so long as you are um, writing it correctly on the page. And I'm going to talk about that next. So as long as it's easy enough for the reader to read and they should be able to figure out who's talking and then you can skip the dialogue tags pretty often. Um, the other thing that really is helpful here, it goes back to number three, which is character voice. If you have a character that sounds a certain way, that uses certain words and phrases or a certain dialogue, you're not going to have to tag that very often because as soon as they start talking, the reader's going to know exactly who that is. So that's another <laughs> good uh, argument for having strong character voice. One thing to keep in mind is that you if you have more than two people in the conversation, you're going to have to use more dialogue tags because more people mean it's going to be less obvious who's talking. So skip the dialogue tags when you can, but make sure you don't skip them in a way that makes it confusing for the reader. So it's just something you have to keep in mind, go through, make sure that it's clear. And again, you might need to get a second set of eyes on your dialogue in order to really nail this down, you know, because it might be obvious to you who's talking, but if, you know, somebody comes back and says, I have no idea who's saying this, then that's obvious that you need to put a dialogue tag there. Okay. So that's number nine. And number 10 is make your dialogue easy to read. And this is really what comes in for punctuation and the way that it appears on the page. So just make sure that every time someone new is speaking, you start a new line or a new paragraph. Okay. Don't ever put the same don't ever put two different people speaking in the same paragraph. So when I talked about how you can skip dialogue tags as long as it's easy to read, if you're making sure to put a new line or a new paragraph every time you change the speaker, then that becomes really easy for the reader to read because as they're reading it on the page, each new paragraph signals that this is a different person talking. Now, by the same token, do not... Um, 
divide the same person talking into two different paragraphs. The only reason that you would do this is maybe if something happens in between and there's some action or something, but otherwise they're going to think that it's a different person. And then when it's not, that's going to confuse them. So just make sure that you are consistent, that you make your dialogue easy to read, use the correct uh, punctuation, you know, when there's a pause, there generally needs to be a comma. Make sure that your uh, quotations are correct. You know, this is all maybe basic high school stuff, but it is really important that you get that right because the consistency is what's going to train your reader's brain to know that the way you write, and then they will be able to figure out who's talking and your dialogue becomes easier to read if that's the case. And um, the final point for making it easy to read is use correct dialogue tags, which we already talked about. Okay. That was a lot. I know that was a lot, but I don't expect you to be able to do all of this the next time you sit down to write some dialogue, okay? It's something that maybe when you're editing, you can go through this as a checklist and make sure that your dialogue is lining up, that you've, you know, kind of checked all of these things off. Um, and then, like I said, too, if you're struggling with a particular scene or a particular line of dialogue, then you can use this, come to it as a resource to help you push through that. So we're going to recap really quickly. All 10 directives for dynamite dialogue. Number one, every line must serve a purpose, meaning it needs to either create or resolve tension, convey information, or show emotion. Number two, don't necessarily keep it real. Don't try to mimic the really chaotic, all over the place dialogue of real life, okay? Once again, everything needs to be super focused on your story and it needs to serve a purpose. Number three, use character voice. That really helps to make the dialogue more interesting. It helps us know who's speaking and it will keep your dialogue from falling flat because your reader will actually hear it in your character's voice if you have created a unique enough character voice. Number four, combine action with dialogue. You can do this two different ways. Either macro action, which just means the actual motions that they're making in the scene, um, and that just helps the flow of the scene on the page. Or if you're talking around what they mean, so they're not actually saying what they mean, then you can create subtext using their body language and their expressions. And I call that micro action. Combine that with the dialogue to make it pop. Number five, identify the emotion and the motivation behind the dialogue because it will give you clarity. So the emotion behind a certain line can help you craft that line a little bit better. And the motivation, not only the character motivation, but what you're trying to accomplish in the story with a given conversation can also help focus that conversation and keep it on the rails. Uh, number six, do not necessarily spell out every detail. Pull from things you've already established early on in the story and combine them with meaning so that you are creating kind of these epic one-liners and also sort of forcing the audience to make the connections themselves. And when the audience can make the connection themselves, that creates a more powerful emotional reaction in them. And therefore your dialogue has just become more powerful. Um, seven, get messy. Feel free to have the characters interrupt each other, cut each other off. Don't use perfect grammatical polite sentences. Number eight, don't make all things equal. Consider power dynamics in any given conversation. Not everyone is going to speak equally. Not everyone is going to give each other equal, um, you know, platform time. That's just not the way the conversations work. So take power dynamics into account. Number nine, use dialogue tags correctly. Use said most often more than anything else. Use powerful words in as an alternative to L-Y words and skip the dialogue tags when you can, but of course it still needs to make sense and the reader still needs to understand who's speaking at any given time. 
And number 10, make it easy to read, meaning use a new line or a new paragraph every time a new speaker is speaking. Make sure you're using correct punctuation and make sure you're using the dialogue tags correctly. So just like anything else, it's gonna feel overwhelming at first to try to get your dialogue right. But the more you practice it, the more naturally it will come. You probably will get to a point where you can find yourself writing really stellar conversations, dialogue that really, really pops, and it won't even be hard, you'll just do it naturally. But you have to start putting these things into practice. Um, I can tell you that just like with editing crutch words or editing it all or writing it all, at first it's gonna feel like a really big brain cramp and it's gonna be hard and you know, it's gonna take you an hour to edit a single conversation because you're going through each one of these and so it's gonna feel like, I can't do this for every single conversation, it's taking way too long. But if you will do the work now and start doing it, every time you do it, it will become easier. You will have less editing to do. And like I said, you'll start to do it naturally so that you'll have very little to edit after your first draft. So do yourself a favor and take the time to do it now and to learn it now, to teach your brain how to write this kind of dialogue so that it will become easier in the future. You just have to start now and do the work now, okay? Um, so that is all for Dial dynamite dialogue. <laughs> I hope that that's helpful and I hope that it can help you be more intentional with your dialogue. Like I said at the beginning, I feel like we talk about dialogue a lot, but no one really has very practical tips on how to improve it other than just, oh, practice, read a lot, listen to a lot of conversations. And it's not that that's bad advice, that, that is good advice and will help you, but these are more intensive tips for how to specifically make your dialogue stronger, better, make it pop, all of that. So uh, let me know if I missed anything and let me know how this works for you. I'd really love to hear if you have any success with it. And yeah, everyone have a wonderful week of writing. Thank you so much for being here. If you haven't yet, make sure to get on the early interest list for Fiction by Design, my new program that's coming out, where I'm going to teach a lot of this in a lot more detail. Um, just put your name on the list and then you'll just get emails once it becomes available and I have more information on it. That's at bit.ly forward slash fiction by design and I will link that up in the show notes. Everyone have a wonderful week of dialogue writing and remember there is always a market for awesome. See you next week. Thanks so much for listening today. Before you go, would you be willing to do me a solid? If you found any value at all in this episode today, would you be willing to share it with other authors just like you in the hopes that they might find some value in it as well? Happy story crafting this week. Remember, only you can bring the world the unique story that you are trying to tell. Only you can succeed in your own unique way in getting it out of your mind and your heart and into a medium where it can reach thousands if not millions of salivating readers. You don't have to worry about failure because there is always a market for awesome.